What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday as this drops. It's time for a collector conversation that matters. I'm fired up. Been wanting to have this one for quite some time. I'm joined by Grant Waldorf Stories on the IG. He is a guy that I see his name tagged in a ton of deals online. He goes to a whole lot of shows. His collection's insane. He's a wealth of knowledge, and we're bringing him here on today's show to share his story, his process, strategy when making deals. So many golden nuggets in this one. You're going to want to listen to each word. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, do all the things, but most importantly, tell a damn friend that you're enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What's up, everyone? Uh, this one's a long time coming. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Um, we're going to be talking about cards, nostalgia, building relationships, making deals. I got someone on today that I'm sure you probably follow on Instagram. If you've been out at a show, probably stopped by his table. You know him on Instagram as Waldorf Stories, who we just talked about the origin story of that handle. Madmen Associated, which um, I'll give myself a bonus point for that. But without further ado, I'm joined by Grant Slayton. Grant, welcome. How are you, man? Doing fantastic, Brett. Thank you for having me on. I've been listening to your podcast for well over a year now and uh, just honored to be here. There's so much on the agenda and stuff I want to talk up to you about, but maybe we start here. Like you're a guy who goes to um, shows, you set up, have a lot of conversations. I know you were in Nashville and then you were at the Chicago show. Maybe talk a little bit about your experiences at those shows. How are things going? What types of conversations are you having? What are people buying? Anything you want to share there? I think right now with almost every show I've been going to in the past seven months directly um, conflicts with the narrative that we're seeing on Instagram and Facebook and all of that. There's excitement in the air. There are deals being made left and right. There are collectors out there. There's flippers out there. There's all of that still there. The shows are busy and I've, it just directly goes against what we're seeing from some of the meme pages of, oh, the market's this and that. And that's, you know, really reassuring and exciting. And I, and, and that would be my summary of, of shows right now. And the last two uh, we did great at, uh, we really went out to every table, you know, first trying to, if you see something we need with something I want, seeing if we can get trades going, that's what everyone's doing right now. And it's just, it's been a wonderful run the last six months. It seems like anyone who's actually spending time out in the wild and having conversations and setting up kind of shares in that same sentiment. Maybe, maybe before we move into it, maybe talk a little bit about just like the trading of it all. I know on Instagram, or if we don't have the relationship with someone like trading can be difficult. I feel like when we do have the relationship trading is more seamless. So maybe talk a little bit about just like at shows, like ways that you have found trades to work. You get cards you want. Other people get the cards they want. Like what are kind of maybe some of the mechanics or the makeup of those trades? No doubt. Uh, The first thing I'll look at at a table is what does this dealer have 
or if you're on Instagram, what does this page have? What's the, what's their collection based with? And if I have some stuff from there, let's see if that can get the conversation going. And how easy is that? You take a quick look. Okay. I got this or that. Maybe he's interested. And, and, and you go from there. So you never know with that, if that'll work, but, uh, with, with shows, you know, if, if you can't get the trades going, they need, they need cash. I mean, you're in the driver's position right there, but, um, Instagram, especially I do so many trades where the information's in front of me, they collect autographs of not, not Jordan LeBron, but the next tier down, what, what do I have in the collection? You know, wh- where can I make this deal start rolling? And, um, and then another thing that that's really uh, neglected, especially online, is your first approach. A lot of people will reply to a story or DM you and they'll write how much or for sale question mark or a dollar sign question mark is one I've gotten where it's so uh, unprofessional that if you put in a little effort and say, hey, that's an awesome card, great pickup. I've actually been looking for that. My name's Grant, by the way. What are you looking for that? What are you trading for right now? Are you looking to sell it? You know, put a little effort into it. And, and then in person as well, you know, show a little enthusiasm. It goes a long way. It's just being real people. And it's it comes down to communication skills, it sounds like. It really does. It, some collectors, uh, dealers, everyone could benefit so greatly from reading a few negotiation books. And I'm not talking hard tactics or anything like that. I'm just talking your foot in the door and the people that I set up with, I, I try to try to teach them, try to show them what looks like natural conversation for me is actually a little bit thought out. I I love it. Um, Now I think if anyone goes to your page or a senior showcase, one thing that stands out is just like uh, nineties cards and pretty badass nineties cards you have this like collection or this inventory of just incredible nineties cards from all of the types of, you know, brand sets that, you know, people are chasing right now. Maybe talk a little bit about your background in collecting and just like your passion for nineties cards and kind of when this all started and you start picking these, these cards up one by one. Yeah, absolutely. I've told this story on a few different uh, outlets before. So where I started with uh, collecting, I was eight, nine years old. Uh, my older cousins were into it. Uh, all the kids on the playground were collecting cards, trading cards. And we had the Packers that were the best team in the NFL in the early nine, 94-ish, 95. And uh, all I had was base cards. And th- that was the era where we still looked at the back of the cards, memorized everything about players, uh, colleges, all that. and. So it all, that was the foundation and I was always interested in it. Then high school, it's kind of the same story that a lot of these guys have is that high school started, he got out of it. And uh, in about 2012, I went back to cards and I was seeing some of these nineties cards selling for like quite a bit of money and stuff that I always dreamed about as a kid. And I was like, that's really interesting. And I, and I reached out to a guy locally that had some amazing cards that uh, he still had them. I went and made a deal and was able to essentially keep this really big Kobe Bryant 90s cards for free after the deal was done. And I haven't looked back. What was the Kobe card? 
that was the 1997 Ultra Platinum Medallion number to 100. And oddly enough, like two years later, I traded it for an Andrew Luck card. Talking with you. I <laughs> traded for an Andrew Luck card two years later at a show. And about six years after that, I got the Kobe back from the Philippines, uh, from well, the biggest Kobe collector I know. Uh, I got it back from him, my original one that I found in my hometown that I stared at as a kid. I Now I own five copies of that card, <laughs> including both jersey numbers for Kobe, 8 and 24 of 100. Hopefully that gives some, the listeners some kind of context of some of the cards Grant's working with over here. We, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you posted this, and we were talking about it at the shows and uh, show and what you had just picked up, but you posted, uh, it was, uh, essential credentials, McGuire, and what was the other one? And the uh, the 1999 precious metal gem, right? And so I saw. I was telling you when we hit record, I saw those cards, and immediately, like, I got flooded with nostalgia of thinking about the home run chase and where I was at as a a kid watching those, and how every night it was a big deal. And you know, like, Major League Baseball might not glorify the steroid era, and there's people out there who have different opinions on the steroid era, and people say, you know, don't buy these steroid era guys. But, like, those guys to me are, like, nostalgic. So maybe talk a little bit about just, like, your philosophy when it comes to, like, cards like that, guys, players, and what what you like to do. It didn't take long for me to realize, like, there's so many uh, markets like that within the 90s that players that don't, especially for basketball uh, players that might not have as big a stats as other players continually were more valuable and more sought after Penny Hardaway, for example, Grant Hill, um, even guys like Damon Stoudemire, where there were so many people that wanted their best cards. And then to use like the steroid era players, when, when people see those cards and I just got a ton of Barry Bonds pieces, they want those cards so badly. And uh, I think it's because we enjoyed watching them so much. And and then also with the basketball, there was like, uh, like hip hop culture, like Allen Iverson, players like that, that um, people are just so much, they're drawn to them more than a player like Carl Malone uh, or even Tim Duncan to an extent. It's like, I always say it's a cult like following for, for a lot of different players. It's been doing this for years and, Real hard to explain to a novice, but it's real. Yeah, it's like that. It's the the stuff about cards that makes it really difficult to manufacture and diagnose. This is what's going to sell and this is what you need to buy. It's like the, those intangible traits. And I know you've been doing setting up at shows dealing for quite some time. Maybe we talk a little bit about just like wh- when did that start and why did you start it and what are kind of some of the things you've learned while just being in real life talking to other collectors at shows. For sure. So I started getting back into shows around 2014, 15 and immediately hooked try, and I, every weekend it felt like we were going to a different regional show, you know, mall shows. I and mean, I still do that stuff to this day. And, um, and then the big shows, I, I would just walk around for three days straight, the national six days straight. And eventually you know, making enough contacts in this business, people were asking, hey, you want to set up with me? And eventually I did. And sitting on that dealer side is so much more fun uh, and so much more opportunity 
that it was a no brainer that if I'm going to go to a show of decent size, I got to set up. Otherwise you're going to miss out on too much. And so what is, what is as someone who collects, but then is someone who also deals like, how do you manage both sides? Like, do you have a pile of cards that you're like, these are cards I can't give up right now. So these won't be coming to the show. Does everything come to the show? Talk to talk a little bit about that. So fortunately I've, I've done a lot of damage in my day as far as like uh, big items in the PC and stuff like that, where, yeah, most shows, the really big cards just don't come out because there's one, you're going to regret if you move it Two, there's usually not going to be what you want back in inventory to make sense. So, but the thing is with, with all the deals I've made uh, over the last almost 10 years now, uh, you lose the attachment factor quick. If you keep doing this as, as much as, as I do, as much as some other people do, you lose that attachment factor um, for a lot of cards. There's some you want to keep, obviously, no doubt, but you never know what's going to walk up. You never know what's going to hit your uh, DMs um, where you need to put these into play to get something you like more. And in, since I've done that, you know, last year I sold the Kobe Precious Metal Gem Green. Not everyone knows that, but I, last year I sold that card. I mean, that was the biggest card for me. That was the leap of faith buying that card. And once you do a few moves like that, <laughs> it makes it surprising how easy it can get. I, so gotta- I, yeah, I think about it as just like the we co- we are collecting cards, but it's a constant game, right? We're always trying to like get bigger and better or new things that mean something to us. What sounds like you're constantly in motion, tons of activity. Yes. Are there specific rules that you have in place? Like, I don't know when you're going to a show, like what 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 you're looking to accomplish. Like, here are the rules of of uh you know, trading or selling that I have when I go into these things to make sure that you don't get rid of a card for less than or for something lesser than you anticipated before you you entered the the show? Sometimes I, I wouldn't call them rules. Sometimes I'll have a, you know, a game plan in my head usually of, okay, try to remember to do this. Try to remember, you know, you're making as many deals. You got to remember if there's a little bit left on the table to go after, or you got to remember, you know, let's, let's try to trade first, not just you're right at the show. Let's spend the money. Like, so there's always game plans in place, but like, I'll give you an example of this weekend. You know, what was the biggest story in the news this last two weeks in the real world is the, the the Silicon Silicon Valley bank. Right. And going into the show this weekend, it's heavy on my mind. Right. And okay, I'm not going to spend as much money as I took out to bring to the show. And on the other side, I'm going to be a little bit lenient on these cards this weekend that I Mm -hmm. planned on holding. Like, for example, um, Jason Tatum, I I sold one of his Prism Blue Ice PSA 10s. When I got that card last month, I said, playoffs, can't wait to sell it. Well, a good offer came up. And the real world showing us that banks are failing and a lot of weird things are going on. I will take the sale. And I did that a few times over with different cards this weekend. Always, you know, it's like Mike Tyson. Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. I think it's smart to consider the external factors that 
we have absolutely no control over either. And I would be doing myself and the listeners a disservice if I didn't go back to the Kobe Green and try to hear the story of that card, you acquiring it and then you letting go of it. Sure. Well, a, a good friend of mine who I met at the first national I went back to in 2015, I was walking to every table asking for rare Kobe cards from the 90s. And every table told me the same thing, nothing, nothing. And I probably went to 200 tables. Well, at the 201st table, this guy in the crowd says, hey, you're looking for rare Kobe 90s. I have a few. And he pulled out the credentials, 1997, 98, number to 73. And that was just right up my alley of what I wanted to bring home from the national. So we made a deal. And at the end of the day, he pulled out of his little pouch, a Kobe Bryant green PMG, the Holy grail, <laughs> like something I never imagined uh, having a shot at, at that point and seeing it in person. Right. And we, we kept a good relationship. I, I would buy whenever he, whenever he'd show me stuff, I pretty much would take it because, you know, you want to nurture that uh, relationship there. And in 2017, he reached out, I'm selling my Kobe green. I got some house projects coming up and I wanted to give you a shot. There's one other buyer. I turned him down for, it was $40,000. And about two weeks later, he came back to me and I, I turned him down because I had my, my first son on the way and I was about to close on the real estate that my bar and restaurant sit on. So I had all this going on in like within about a month and a half. And it was like, this is a terrible time for me to do this. And he, two weeks later, he came back and said, listen, you got to buy this card. You're never going to have a shot at it again, Grant. But now it's 45 because <laughs> the guy upped his offer, the other party interested. And I took, I, I, I said, give me, a, give me a few hours or a day or whatever it was. And I came back and I said, in my head, I was like, sell whatever you can, whatever doesn't matter and get this card. And that's, and that's what I did. So then fast forward, you know, to 2020, Kobe Bryant passes away. We have our card boom. We have so much happening, right? And I still had no intention of selling it unless something came up that was too good. And that's what happened. My friend who sold me the card made, made uh, headlines by selling his other copy. He had two. And he sold it for $2 million in, in the same day that that news broke, I was able to sell mine. So one thing that stands out to me in this story is just like, I'm visualizing all the steps and decisions. And you literally went around to the national talking to 200 people and you bought that credentials. And there was something about the connection you had with that dealer in the building of the relationship to then eventually give you a crack at it. Whereas to me, that just screams like so much of what we see online, so much of what other, you know, content tells you, it's like about the transaction. It's like, flip this. It's like the stories and stuff like that comes from the building of the relationships in a long term. Some trust has been established there. So like, Talk a little bit about like, is that accurate in that instance? Yeah. Like you, the trust was developed. And so then you get a crack at it Absolutely. and you did. Yeah. It's like a lot of people subscribe to good things come to those who wait. Good things come to those 
who go after things. And, and that's what I do. And whenever he um, reached out, Hey, I'm selling this or I'm selling that. I 90% of the time I bought it. Yes. Let's meet up for meet up for another deal. Let's meet up for another deal. And they were good deals. You know, I'm not just buying blindly and hoping for something in the future, but with doing that. And then when I'd see him at shows, you know, we, we hang out, we'd have we'd many dinners, all that by nurturing that and keeping that going. I had that opportunity. And, uh, I think without, without any of that, he's not going to be reaching out to me first when he decides to sell the big one. A lot of people forget that when they're doing these deals, like, Hey, you can, you can miss out on a couple hundred dollars in profit, but look long-term Yeah, and, and just, and that, that's the, the networking. That's the real networking that I do. I, I lo- and I want to talk a little bit about just like, I know like community of people in that network means a lot to you. Um, and you, not a, it seems like every week or every other week, I see somebody that I'm friends with or someone who I follow posts a deal or a completion of a deal that was done and you're the other person on the other end of it. Um, so maybe like different collectors you've worked with or who are doing cool things. I know par- as a part of this, like wanted to give you an opportunity to like maybe talk a little bit about that, just like different people who you appreciate or just deals that you've gotten done and kind of reasons why? Oh, sure. With all the activity over the last seven, eight years of really, especially the last two years have been so vamped up, you get so not numb to it, but you, you, the deals are easier to to be made the more you do them. And the reason why you see my name pop up, pop up, pop up is because I'm pretty easy to work with. And I know what I want. I know, I know these parameters of the deal so quickly that let's get it done. Let's get it done quick. I don't have a lot of, everyone's busy. Let's get it done. And and that's why you'll see my name pop up so often. And a lot of people will say, oh, the deal took all of 10 seconds to make. And it's just years and years of doing this and just knowing what I want and how to get it done fast. You have a guy that wants a card and a thousand dollars is too much, but he has $1,100 in old inventory. You know, we're going to, we're going to find a way to get it done. Um, people that I appreciate, uh, I've worked a lot lately with, uh, Michael Kadok, MK sports cards on Instagram Our our uh, big deal that we just made this year. I traded him a Michael Jordan precious metal gem championship. It's going to be featured in PSA magazine. They, they did a big story on just this trade. And, uh, so we, we've been working a lot together. I took in 300 cards and 300 very rare, unique collector pieces. So that's really turned my world upside down the last couple months of making deals. And uh, it's, it's just been wild. So, so I follow that one closely and shout out MK. Without knowing the mechanics, I just look at his page and how, how he is a collect, as a collector and just how curated his stuff is. And he obviously had a desire for that card, probably higher than maybe anybody in the world, because I know it's probably challenging for him to give up stuff. But he not only gave up stuff, obviously, you have to for a card like that to you, but it's just like badass stuff, like stuff anybody wants to be buying. And so you as a dealer are seeing opportunity there where you're like, I'm giving up this just grail Jordan, but on the back end, it's not like I'm just giving a bunch of stuff that everyone's getting it's stuff that's really challenging and hard for people to get. And I have since seen him getting cards back from you that were a part of that original deal. So maybe like oh, on your yeah. the, 
uh, as a dealer, like that seems like a, you said things go easy, but that deal seems like it's got to be super complicated um, in order to give up that Jordan Grail for all of these cards. But maybe like what are like the two or three things that you found in that deal specifically that made it an open and shut case for you where you were like, I'm giving a card to a good home and I'm benefiting from it on the other side. Yeah, that was definitely something to take into consideration. It going to a good home. I found Mike so many, so many cool cards in the last year and a half or so. Uh, well, even dating back to when he first got back in the hobby, but um, that made it, that made it a little simpler, but we had done like numerous deals where, okay, I'll pick this card up for you. You want to trade out some old inventory. You want to trade out this and that. And, you know, one deal was for eight cards. One deal was for 15 cards, but then I don't know, three months ago, we did a big one for 60 cards. I think, yeah, 60 cards. Uh, That was a, a Brett Favre PMG green from 97. So we had this like built in, like, okay, we're comfortable like with how we're dealing with each other. And it didn't just start with three, you know, 300 for one. We already had some wheels in motion of how we work together. So when he, when he sent over his spreadsheet, we never talked values. And that's another thing that I would love to talk about for 20 minutes <laughs> that so many people are obsessed with values. When, if you know cards, you know where the value can go, can go. And so we didn't have to discuss value on anything. Minus one card. I'll say that minus one card. And so when, when we work like that and I, and I know with his spreadsheet of cards, like, Oh, this, okay. I did my due diligence, obviously. And where I could go with it, it made the deal a lot simpler than you'd think it took, it took about four hours of research and then probably another hour and a half of back and forth for a, for a card that's worth, you know, a quarter of a million dollars easily. So the, the values of it and where cards are going, how much of it, how in your mind, when you make that deal, how much of it is like, I am trying to get rid of some of these cards to recoup the cost of that Jordan right away. And then how much of it is, this stack of cards I'm kind of going to sit on for a little bit because I think I know where it's going. Yeah. So the game plan with it was immediately figure out what needs to get graded um, Mm -hmm. because Michael kept all his cards ungraded. Uh, If he didn't buy them graded, they were raw. And so that worked out really well because a lot of them graded very well. Um, But so then I had like a stack right away. I knew I could send a consignment. These are cards I don't feel like trading, not not worth the time. Let's go right to consignment with them. Now, those go to consignment. I've got 100 cards at grading between Beckett and PSA. And now there's some really unique pieces. Let's show this first 10 of them off and see what comes in. Now, those things start spider webbing out where one card I get 10 cards for. And this happens with so many of the pieces on there where if, if the card is worth 5000 I was able to clear 6,500 in trade or seven. And then, like I said, the word spider web, it just all keeps expanding and contracting. And then like, I don't know, two weeks ago, 80 cards came back from PSA and we start again. So, so that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the snowball effect on some of these cards. It's like, I know by planting this many seeds, then I'm going to not only recoup what I, you know, put into the Jordan card, but then it could go even further 
type of a thing. May, exactly. It, I'm I'm thinking in about May, May or June, this will be done. And I'm so excited to see what this turns to. And Michael's well aware of this. He, when we made this deal, he's hoping for the absolute best for me. So I'm not showing off or anything, but when I'm done with this and I'll let you know how it went, you'll be just astounded by what cards and cash came in from this Michael Jordan grail. I've already gotten grail cards back. It's, this is, this is the funnest stuff in the hobby. So for you, um, is it like success to you because you gave up such a big card is success to you? Just like a balance of like cash and grails that you've been looking for, for a while that you were able to get from this. Is it mostly cash? Is it mostly grails? Like talk to me a little bit about like, what is success for you at the end of the road, the end of the road on this? I think continue for me, continually finding the cards that people go, wow, Mm. I love that. That is amazing. Like you bring up the McGuire's today. Um, one of those McGuire's, uh, one of the cards from this deal was involved in, right? So for me, success is continually finding these awesome pieces, posting them, and then connecting with more people. Before we move into, I want to make sure to get your feedback on deal making. Is there anybody else or any th- anybody that you appreciate that you wanted to call out uh, besides uh, Michael before we move on to the next one? Oh, for sure. I want to uh, shout out my buddy, Paul Poffenberger, Farvelous for Cards. He's a huge Peyton Manning and Brett Favre collector. He's a big fan of the show here. And uh, like I said, uh, before we started, every time we get on a, a long road trip, he puts your show on right away. Does he still have his 2012 Andrew Luck gold prism? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he had, he had some of the best Andrew Luck cards and still does. I, I, I bought a, um, I bought a, um, card from him at the national in shoot last time it was in Chicago and I saw the luck in his showcase and I didn't buy it at the time, but because you confirmed that he has one, I'm always going to be thinking about if now is the right time. So I just needed that. It's all about gathering information. I just had to get some info from you on that. (laughs) For sure, man. And one other shout out to chase CRV cards. Chase, uh, he's been helping us a ton with shows, and uh, this kid knows how to find rare cards, and uh, I've really enjoyed working with him. That That's awesome. So I, I want to make sure, like, someone who does this regularly, who's got a process, a strategy, like, anyone listening, like, if we're talking about making deals, you've shared a lot in here, but, like, at its core, just to leave people with something, like, what are the traits or things that you would coach anybody up? up on to consider when making successful deals, not just a a one-time thing, but just like a history of them, like you, you've been making. Sure. Uh, I guess know when, try not to be difficult, try to get to the finish line with these, with people you're dealing with. There's so much more business you can do with people down the line that if you're agreeable and amenable from the get-go, you're going, you know, it's the whole idea of, um, you attract more uh, flies with honey or whatever. Mm. The whole idea of just instead of going for the throat on every deal, try to look long-term. And if they're adding stuff to the deal, you don't need the card. Well, who cares? It still has value, right? Be open-minded. You don't know how far this you can, you can go with this. And, uh, and that is probably like you said, you see my name tagged all the time. I'm very easy to work with. 
And that's just the philosophy since day one. So I, I'd be doing myself and everyone else a disservice by not asking you your collection. Uh, when Grant thinks about his collection, what are like the maybe three to five pillars? Like what are the cards that stand yeah, out to you? So like right away, I think of that first card that got me back in the hobby, the Kobe platinum medallion. So I own five of them now, including both Jersey numbers, eight and 24 of a hundred. So like that's one pillar. Mm. Then from the same set, that was the first ever set that had a masterpiece card for basketball. And I was fortunate. It took three and a half years, three and a half years of patience. And I, and I got the Michael Jordan one of one first ever masterpiece base card. So that's by far my best card and one that was a testament to patience. And then the other ones would probably be my Kobe precious metal gems that I still have. I have the two of the reds and one of the uh, PMG championships. So th those are my, my absolute favorite cards, but there, there's so many, I'm sure you're the same way. There's so many of them that you're like, Oh, that's going to be real tough to ever get rid of that. Always. Do you, do you have any, and you don't need to be card specific, but do you have any goals with what you're doing in the hobby in the next six to 12 months? Well, recently I started picking up a lot of Barry Bonds, um, some of his best nineties cards. I'll do the same thing with Mark McGuire and probably Sammy Sosa. Uh, the old, the sluggers, the steroid era guys. Um, I really enjoyed watching that as a kid. And that's been really fun to do that to start the year. Uh, and, and then always um, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant's my favorite player of all time. Michael Jordan's my favorite player to get cards of. And if there's ever a grail of his to acquire, um, that's, that's always the dream. Like he's, he's got so many pieces that I've never owned and stuff like that is, is what I, what I still gravitate towards. Do you have any advice for people like with like the Jordan, the Kobe, the, you know, the Brady, the, like the big names and the people like, I think so often, like maybe don't want to go all in or have the resources to go all in to become like a Jordan collector, but want a nice piece or two and haven't quite are kind of scared away because of the, the price, the dollar value. Um, but it's something that's always on people's minds. Like I want to grab one, I want to grab one or two. Like, do you have any advice to get individuals over the hurdle of just like, just making it happen and grabbing a yeah. Jordan to start it. I absolutely do. And I've seen collectors do this and it's get what you can. That's comfortable. And then always be on the lookout for the upgrade. Mm. And, and as time goes by, maybe the card that you do have is gone, gone up hopefully, and you can trade it up to that next level with some other cards that you've picked up along the way that are affordable. And how fast can that go up if, if you're making the right moves? My, my logo is a little red, has a little red paper clip in it because of the story from the early 2000s. A guy traded a red paper clip into a house and fascinating story you could look up. You can make so many profitable moves in this hobby. I love it so much. I'm just very grateful for it that even if you started today, you, you, if you get, if you're looking at the right stuff, you're going to, you're going to end up you could end up with that house at the end of the rainbow, you know? I love it. Be before we let you get out of here, are there any shows? What's next for Grant? If you're out and about, where can there. people find you? I am going to a show in Minneapolis. It's a new show, Minneapolis area. The Next Gem guys, uh, Ryan and Scott with Next Gem, 
they're involved with it and they want me to come up to their hometown area. And that's what we're, we're going to check out a new show in Minneapolis. I think they said three to 400 tables and that's, that's for April. And then, you know, eyes are on national. It's going to come up so quick. Uh, I can't wait for that. I'll be there every day. Brad, this was a ton of fun, man. I uh, love hearing your stories and all the advice you have. We'll have to do this again because there is plenty more rabbit holes I could have gone down with you, but we will save that for next time, man. Thanks so much. Absolutely, Brad. Thank you. That conversation with Grant, we could have gone on and on and on and on and on again. We're going to be doing it again at some point. There's so many different rabbit holes that we can go down. Hopefully you learned something from Grant. I know I did go check out his page, Waldorf Stories, and make sure you stop by his table next time you see him out and about. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More stacking slabs on the other side. Peace.